Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So the conversation yesterday about Josh Harris being in Indianapolis uh, garnered um, a very mixed review uh, from a lot of you, and I appreciate a lot of the feedback. Uh, I thought the calls that we took on this show, for the most part, were people like me, not very concerned uh, about this at all. But I wanted to read this email that I got from Patrick, um, which I read earlier this morning. He wrote, Kevin... I'm an employment and compensation consultant to big corporations, and you and many others in local media are very naive about Harris being present at interviews in Indianapolis. In my business, we refer to this as hovering. You don't hover unless the employee is in a training environment. I don't think that's the case with Peters. He was hired as a top candidate on the market. My guess is that he prefers boss to give him room to generate the results on his own with his own way and own style. Hovering can impact style and therefore performance. The significance of their high pick in the draft is even more reason to give Peters some breathing room. There's already a ton of pressure, and these moments of evaluating the candidates in person are few and far between. It should have been Peters and his staff, period. That's it. I can't believe what suckers you and everyone else in the media are, are being about this. The fact that he's not Dan isn't the issue. Nobody will ever be Dan. But you are, as you've said in the past, a mark if you don't think this isn't a flag that has at least a tint of red. Not blood red. But I think your benefit of the doubt mode won't last long. Uh, thank you, Patrick. I'll respond to that here in a moment. Ben Standing's going to be with us today at noon. Uh, and I promised yesterday that 
uh, we would talk to Drake May's high school coach. I had him on my podcast earlier in the week, and you're going to hear that interview. This is a guy that mentored Drake May when he was a young sophomore high school quarterback, coached him down in Charlotte, North Carolina, has been a mentor and a friend. Uh, and I think a lot of his insight on Drake May was excellent. So we will play that for you. Yesterday, by the way, at the Combine, all of the quarterbacks spoke. Uh, they were all interviewed, and we've got a lot of that sound that we will uh, play for you. By the way, um, for those of you that uh, thought that Merrill Hodge was way too rough on Drake May, okay, that's fine. Um, I appreciated the perspective uh, from Hodge, not just on May, but I think we learned that he would absolutely – uh, uh, be uh, happy if Jaden Daniels was the pick at number two. Although he made it very clear he doesn't think any of the three quarterbacks in the draft are Stroud or Burrow, who are the two that he's had the highest rated in the last four years or five years of the draft. Um, before I get to Patrick's uh, email, I did want to mention that once again last night, uh, I stayed up, Denton. And I watched some NBA hoops, this time our Washington Wizards, who lost to the Lakers in a very entertaining game, 134 to 131 in overtime. Um, The reason that I stayed up to watch the game, because I have not been watching a lot of Wizards games, just haven't watched many at all. Um, But last night, the Lakers were a 10-point favorite coming off what was a draining comeback win against the Clippers the night before. And you know how with older players like LeBron, back-to-backs can be pretty tough. Uh, There was a lot of public action on the Lakers, so I bet my first NBA game of the year last night. I bet the Wizards plus the points. Winner. They lost 134-131 to in overtime. It was a very entertaining game. There was a key call in overtime that I think they got right. Denny Avdia charged into LeBron. They called it a block. It would have been a big play uh, for the Wizards, uh, but the Lakers challenged it and it was overturned. And they went on to win 134-131 to in overtime. Jordan Poole, by the way, 34 off the bench. He was bombing Threes also had some really good decisions uh, with some excellent passes. Um, the Wizards in the game, and I looked this up. I, I after the game, I, I I thought to myself, man, they passed the ball pretty damn well. Now there were turnovers in the game, some sloppy turnovers, including a Jordan Poole inbounds pass in overtime that was pretty bad. Um, but they had thirty five assists in the game. Um, and played well. You know, they've they've lost now 13 games in a row, which is exactly what you want to see the Wizards doing. Uh, they've lost 13 in a row. They're now 9-50. and 50. But a lot of the games recently have been competitive games. And last night, they had a chance with the ball. The Lakers had a foul to give. The Wizards seemed to be oblivious to it. But anyway, um, with 4.1 seconds left, Poole you know, was guarded by LeBron. Um, and LeBron played really good defense and forced a contested three that missed. But that would have beaten the Lakers, and that would have been a really bad loss. When you are playing the Wizards th- th- these days, you know, and you're in playoff contention, we're now into March. 
it's like you can't lose that game. And you could feel like the pressure on the Lakers last night. We can't lose to the Wizards. And they almost did. But once again, LeBron, back-to-back nights, man. Uh, he was had one of the quarters of his career on Wednesday night against the Clippers. Last night, he went for 31 in 39 minutes uh, and was outstanding again. They had no answer for Anthony Davis last night. And I'm just going to mention this to, to the basketball people listening. How good has D'Angelo Russell become? How smooth is D'Angelo Russell? I mean, his stroke is so pure and it's so calm and it's just so smooth. Um, How old is D'Angelo Russell now? And how many teams has he played for? He's played on a lot. Yeah. He's really good. I mean, the NBA really is an older person's league. He's 28. You've got to give these guys so much time. They're kids when they come into the league, and they're playing against men. And they have to physically mature, and they have to learn how to play that game versus the college game that they're playing. You know, like Corey Kispert looked like, you know, uh uh-oh, they got that one wrong. Corey Kispert can flat-out score. I'm not just saying he's a shooter. He's a scorer. Now, Jordan Davis has not looked like he's made much progress, but he's, you know, he's a young guy too. He's 21, 22, something like that. Um, but it was a highly entertaining game. I did not want overtime. You know, when you have an underdog, you don't want overtime. The o- overtime is not the friend of the underdog better. Um, but uh, we did okay in overtime and came out with a plus. 10 winner. Man, the back-to-back with older teams, now, it's factored in, um, but I just, for whatever reason, after watching that Clippers game the other night, I just thought the Lakers were going to be dead. By the way, what what drives me nuts about the NBA, it's a three-point game, all right? Poole misses, um, I'm sorry, Kuzma misses in overtime uh, a bucket that would have tied it. He's a good player. He's, I'm glad they have him, and I hope that if the Wizards become in three years, four years. I hope Kuzma is a part of that group as a veteran player. Um, but anyway, um, they this is the with five seconds left and the ball gets knocked out front and the Lakers take control of it and they don't even attempt to foul. Like, uh, look, I'm, that's not a tank move. They were trying to win the game last night. They were trying to win the game. But when there are five seconds left and you're down by three, just foul see what happens. Maybe they'll miss. You never know. Like, just extend the game. You see this in the NBA a lot. You don't see it at other levels. But in the NBA, they essentially tap out, you know, in situations that we've seen more times than we've seen a lot of times, crazy, miraculous finishes. And they just let the last, you know, five seconds, four and a half seconds run out with it without even attempting to foul. I hate that. Now, I was glad in the moment to get out of there with a plus 10 winner. I didn't want double overtime. Um, but I just, it, it's, it, it drives me nuts to, to watch that. Anyway, interesting game, very entertaining game. The shot making, like in all of these games, is insane. Um, and Jordan Poole really can score. Uh, it's just that most games this year he is – Look to uh, it, he's appeared to have been sabotaging 
his own career. Um, all right, that's it on the NBA. So back to Patrick's email. Patrick is an employment and compensation consultant to big corporations. And he said what Harris was doing um, in Indianapolis is referred to in his business as hovering. Uh, that, you know, unless the employee is in a training environment, you don't hover. You know, when you hire uh, the most significant general manager, top candidate, um, you shouldn't hover in the first few days of his job. He's essentially saying, how would you feel if you weren't, you know, a guy that, you know, was sought after, you got hired, and then the boss was in your first sales pitch? You know, the boss came in and sat in on your first radio show and started giving you notes. Now, we don't think he was giving notes. In fact, Sam Fortier late yesterday tweeted out, Josh Harris sat in on six QB interviews at the Combine, a source confirmed. But I'm told that he was there to observe rather than ask questions. The meetings were led by GM Adam Peters and included Coach Dan Quinn and assistant GM Lance Newmark and others. Um, the six QB interviews Josh Harris sat in on, the obvious three, meaning Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, plus J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix, were the only QB formal interviews the commanders did at the Combine per source. You know, when I first read that tweet from Sam last night, I, I read it incorrectly. I read it as they were the only formal interviews the commanders did at the Combine. And I don't think that's true. I think they interviewed other players. But can you imagine essentially if they went to Indy and they had six interviews and it was all six quarterbacks and that was it? That would pretty much answer the question as to what they're going to do in the draft. Um, so, Patrick, you're, you're not convincing me on this. I do understand the idea professionally. I do. I think this is a different business. Um, when you're talking about, you know, the the hiring of a VP of sales for some tech company and he's a big guy that, you know, the company is thrilled to get and they understand his style and it's why they hired him and they should turn him loose and, and not hover, as you describe. Um, I, I this is This is just different. Um, first of all, I would suggest that Adam Peters isn't, while he was the top candidate, he's not a seasoned general manager um, at this point. Josh Harris has talked in the past of wanting to observe the process, which he's done in Philadelphia, um, even sitting in on draft day, which is something that he said he would probably do even here. Um, he wants to observe the process. He wants to learn. It's also, yes, we'd be naive if we thought it was all about him learning uh, you know, how this business works in the process. He's also evaluating and observing the people who are doing the job. And that can put, uh, uh, understood, that can put some you know, pressure. It could make some people uncomfortable. It could make some people operate in a manner that isn't you know, comfortable for them. But this is a high-pressure environment, and this is a massive decision for the organization. This is a unique situation that Adam Peters walked into as the general manager. It is an opportunity to set the course, if they get it right, for the next 10-plus years. 
it, it is the single biggest decision. We we did this poll a month ago, maybe, where we said, what's the most important offseason decision that will be made by the organization, the hiring of the GM, the hiring of the coach, or what they do at number two in the draft? And GM ended up being the leading polled answer. Number two was quarterback. Number three was head coach. Right, Denton? I think that was – I think those were the results. Pretty sure. Yeah, those were. And I, I think GM and quarterback were relatively close, although GM, you know, uh, was the obvious uh, thought for everybody. Um, I, 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 I think that's right. I think that's right because, you know, if you don't have the right GM, if you don't, write, if you don't have the right talent evaluator, then your chance of getting number two – uh, you know, write lessons, but in terms of what will have the longest impact on this team and in terms of the acquisitions here in the offseason, it's what happens at number two. I mean, getting it wrong won't end the program, but it will be a big hit because you can't get number two wrong uh, as many times as they have, especially. But people do get number two wrong, and there's a chance they'll get it wrong. But it won't shut the program down. But getting it right could set this thing up for 10 years of contention. Maybe not 10, but let's, let's call it eight after the first you know two of learning and developing. And this is just a massive opportunity for what has been an organization that's been at the bottom of the barrel for a long time. Like they are in so many different modes right now. They are they were in the hiring mode, the getting rid of Ron mode, finding somebody to run their football organization that was more competent than anybody they've had in the past mode, then getting to the head coach, which is a significant hire, and the staff. And all the while, they're also dealing with, we got to acquire customers. We have to get people interested in this team again. Because, you know, after the opener last year, I know that they sold out a lot of games, but it wasn't with their fans primarily. There is more interest in corporate you know, sponsorship. There is more interest in the team. And I think the next two months uh, then, you know, uh, be, be, between now and, and through the draft are going to be more – there will be more attention paid to the next two months than in almost any offseason in recent memory. Because let's face it, over the last five to six years, even if it was an opportunity in the offseason from a free agency standpoint or with a really high draft choice, you just had people that had completely checked out. It didn't matter to, to a large group of people anymore because as long as Dan was here, it doesn't matter. He's going to screw it up. They're not going to get it right. Now there's this anticipation with this new group that now they've got a chance maybe to turn this thing around. Maybe they hired the right guy in Adam Peters. Maybe they'll pick the right people in free agency. Maybe they'll pick the right guy at number two, and that'll set the course for a completely different franchise moving forward. And I think that there are a lot of people in that building focused on doing the right things you've seen, you know, an additional 35 million, 75 million now invested in the stadium. They are doing as much as they can to bring people back. Now, we know 
and I think they know, we know one of the big things that they should be focused on to bring people back, the name. They can be doing all of these things simultaneously, in my opinion. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. I do think that there has been attention paid to this. I do think they are taking it seriously. I have not thrown in the towel like some of you have because we haven't heard anything on this, that they're they're just, you know, waiting it out until, you know, maybe, you know, you go through another season with the commanders and they're not 4-13, and 13, but then all of a sudden people just start to accept it or get used to it, and then they don't have to do anything about it. I don't think they're in that mode. I think significant uh, a significant group in that uh, ownership um, lot uh, doesn't like the name. I don't think some of the top owners like the name. What they can do about it, who knows? What the experts will say about switching um, and going to something else and whether or not something going to something else really would provide the boost, um, you know, if it's not the Redskins, which it's not going to be, would it be worth the cost? Would it be worth the time, et cetera? They'll have to make that decision, but they're focused on that. You know, they may not have it as a top priority, as they like to say, and all of them are, you know, they're, they're, they're giving you the same line about it's just not a priority. By the way, they shouldn't say that, okay? I've already expressed that before. They shouldn't say it's not a priority. We've got other things to do. It sounds small time. It sounds mom and pop. Like they can't do more than one thing simultaneously. And it's also, it can be perceived by the people who are, and this is a large group of what used to be the fan base, are very, very much um, influenced by uh, the the branding change. It can really feel like a brush off. They shouldn't do that. The owners shouldn't do that. The the minority owners shouldn't do that. Nobody in the organization should suggest out loud anymore that it's just not a priority. We have other things that are much more important. Most reasonable people understand there are many things you're working on that are very important. Like figuring out how to win, which is number one. You know, getting the stadium into a into a p- position where it feels like a stadium in the 21st century and it's not going to fall down on people when they're at games. I understand all that. But it just comes off as a brush off when and 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 a bit condescending to talk about how it's not, you know, it's just not something we're focused on right now. It's not a priority. May tell people it is something that is being discussed and they are and and you're going to make progress on whether or not this is something that will make sense for the organization even if it's placating some of us um patrick i just think this decision is so big for the organization and i know that that isn't what is being discussed as to why josh harris was there it's more about observing and understanding and learning the process I, I'm not naive to think, uh, I'm not so naive to think that that's the only reason he's there. You know, whether he's participating in the questioning or not, and let's assume that the reporting is correct and he's just observing. It's not just about, oh, that's how this works. Oh, okay, these 15-minute interviews, oh, they, 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 these are the kinds of questions the general manager and the assistant general manager and the head coach ask. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm learning. No. He's checking out the candidates. He should be. As long as he's there, he should be observing the candidates.
And I'm sure he'll walk away with an opinion on the candidates. I know he walked away with opinions on the candidates for head coach and general manager. And I think he'll walk away with opinions on the quarterbacks too. I mean, this is somebody who's been involved in hiring and firing for much of his professional career. He has some experience at 60 years old or whatever he is in hiring and firing. He knows what winners look like and what team players look like and what the opposite looks like. He can absolutely provide some insight and some hunch on, on, on these interviews. And he should. Where, where he crosses the line as an owner, and that's hard to say because he owns the team, he can do whatever he wants. But in terms of the line crossed in which you then turn into an owner that's putting the performance of the product on the field at risk is when you start getting involved in things that you have no experience with, no knowledge about, and won't ever in the rest of your life have as much knowledge as the people you've hired, the football part of it. And that's where Dan would get involved at times. And more than that, you know, it was his way ultimately at the end. Um, and at which, which won the conversation as the owner of the team and was destructive. I just don't see Josh Harris being that kind of guy. I think he's smart. I think he's got EQ as well as IQ. Snyder had no EQ. All right. He was emotionally detached, could never read a room. I mean, made every wrong decision when it came to reading the room as possible. And Patrick would probably respond, well, if Josh had been reading the room in this case, he would have just watched the video of these meetings. He would have just watched the Zoom, uh, you know, uh, if, if it was being Zoomed anywhere back to, to Ashburn. I don't think it was. But he would have watched it, you know, after the fact and observed the process from there. Okay. That's one of the reasons I was kind of surprised. But I still am not anywhere near buying that Josh Harris being in the room uh, in Indianapolis is a massive red flag. But I do ap- I do appreciate your perspective, and I do understand how the hovering aspect of boss and just hired top-notch employee um, in a lot of business environments might be unproductive or less productive. Thank you, Patrick, for that. All right. um, When we come back, uh, there were a lot of interviews yesterday with the quarterback prospects. You'll start to hear from some of these guys. How much have we been talking about Caleb Williams and Drake May and Jaden Daniels and J.J. McCarthy? You'll hear what some of these gentlemen said about their interviews with Washington. Next, Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team 980.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Um, So yesterday at Indy, the quarterbacks spoke, uh, and they talked about their interviews with the teams. And we've got five of them. The only... um, the only uh, voice you won't hear from is Bo Nix. I don't know if he spoke or not. Uh, if he did, we don't have the sound from it. But Jaden Daniels, Caleb Williams, Drake May, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr. all met with the media. Uh, we're going to start with Jaden Daniels um, and what he said about his interview with the Commanders. Yeah, it was just how cool uh, the whole staff was. Obviously, uh, Dan Quinn, uh, Cliff King, Barry, all those type of guys. I just be able to sit in there and really just get to know people. Uh, you know, you, you see them on TV, see everybody coaching uh, behind the scenes. So be able to go on there and just have a, a conversation with them. That's the coolest part for me. So Cliff Kingsbury were, was was in this, these meetings as well. That was not something that I knew until I heard the sound um, from Jaden Daniels. Uh, Dan Quinn, Cliff Kingsbury, Adam Peters, Lance Newmark, um, and perhaps others along with Josh Harris. Uh, observing. Um, let me just mention this about Jaden Daniels, and I think Denton knows this because Denton does a very uh, you know high-profile college football show during the season on Sirius XM uh, on Saturdays. Jaden is very very shy publicly. If you if you go back and I've I've done it many times, gone back and watched some of these quarterbacks in interviews, um, there. Jaden is definitely one of the more soft-spoken, shy, I would guess, introverted of the candidates. What does it mean? I have no idea what it means. Um, That's for the experts to figure out. You know, your quarterback doesn't always have to be your vocal leader. Uh, But he, he, there are several videos after LSU wins where he's handed a game ball and the players start screaming, speech, speech, speech. And he is soft-spoken, incredibly, you know, reluctant to sort of be the center of attention as a communicator. I actually thought he did pretty well yesterday. And in talking about Washington, you know, talking about Quinn and Kingsbury and how cool the staff was. Everybody thinks that Dan Quinn and, and Cliff Kingsbury are great guys. Cliff Kingsbury, by all accounts from people in college football, is not only a great dude, but he is really smart. With Dan, it's just what a great, charismatic communicator and leader he is in that environment. So that was Jaden Daniels. This was Caleb Williams. 
Yeah, um, you know, it's it's like I've said before, it's familiar. It's it's, it's hometown, um, as everybody knows, and uh, you know, it'd be it'd be really cool to, to be back there and, and, and experience that. Um, the the meeting went really well, um, and and. Um, you know, being around those, you know, everybody was in the room, so being around everybody, um, you know, just getting getting the taste of, you know, how they are, who they are, because like you said, everything's new there. So Caleb Williams is different than Jaden Daniels in his personality, at least outward personality in these situations. Um, he is really a, an excellent communicator. I had the opportunity last spring to um, uh, to to sit with Caleb Williams at his charity event at Gonzaga downtown, and he and I hung out for a little bit before the event and talked to him for ten or so minutes before we went on stage. And the, he's got it, man. Like there is just something about him that is natural, charismatically natural as a communicator, comfortable as a communicator, um, there's a lot there uh, in terms of that. Now, how much substance is below that? I have no idea. I don't know him at all. Um, I've watched a bunch of interviews with him. We've all seen the Heisman you know, acceptance speech, uh, but uh, different than Jaden Daniels as, a, as sort of a communicator. If Jaden Daniels is the pick, you know I'll be thrilled. Because I personally think that he's the guy. I mean, I, I think Caleb Williams, I would take just barely above Jaden, but it, to me it's it's almost a coin flip. Um, but they would be two totally different faces of the organizations uh, of the organization as communicators. By the way, this is assumes this assumes that they're both really good guys, good teammates, hard work ethic, and good players at the NFL level. Um, this was Drake May. Uh, Drake May was asked about his um, interaction with uh, Washington. Here's what he said. Coach Quinn, um, it was great. You know, kind of kind of clicked right off the bat. Um, he's a great, you know, great guy and um, you know, great coach. The stuff he's done defensively with the Cowboys over the past year has been pretty special. Um, so meeting in there, and um, you know, Coach um, Coach Pritchard, Coach uh, recruited me in high school from Stanford, so I got to know him a little bit. And uh, Coach Kingsbury knows you know my office winner from college, so we got a lot of connections. Drake, what did you take away from your meeting? Coach Quinn, um, it was great. You know, kind of kind of clicked right off the bat. Yeah, um, the the. The Tavita Pritchard thing, and you'll hear his high school coach, who we will play that interview at 11 a.m., um, he talked about how Drake uh, connected with Tavita Pritchard. Pritchard was the key recruiter for Stanford of Drake May, um, and Drake May initially committed to Alabama, uh, but Bryce Young uh, decommitted from where he was, then went to Alabama, and Drake May then bolted from Bama, and his recruitment was reopened, ended up at Carolina. But Tavita Pritchard was apparently on a plane right away, um, and they had uh, you know, uh, several conversations, and I guess Stanford was potentially uh, in the running. Um, Denton, do you have any of what Drake May said about Sam Howell? Uh, no, I don't have any of that stuff. Okay. Um, I think it, we, we can find that and play that later. But let's play J.J. McCarthy talking about his interview with Washington. Just the overall energy, you know, I, it was my first one, so I was like super nervous, I'm not gonna lie. 
and uh, sweating a little bit. And, you know, Coach Quinn was just awesome. I got to talk to uh, Mr. Peters right before the meeting. And, you know, just a great vibe, very welcoming. And, you know, going through the clips and everything. And Coach Cliff Kingsbury was just like, hey, if you get a matchup out here and you really like it, could you just, you know, switch it to go on the outside? You know, something like, I wish. Just little stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it was just great to meet them, great to, you know, talk ball with them. And I had a lot of fun doing it. J.J. McCarthy's been at the center of attention for a while now. He was one of the top recruits in the country um, going to Michigan. I love that line, by the way. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury asked him, if he likes a matchup on the outside, can you audible to a go route, is what he said. And J.J. said, yeah, I wish. I wish. So I don't think Harbaugh let them do much. Um, You know, there was – Somebody reached out to me. I'm trying to think of who it was because I think he was a coach uh, and said, you know, one of the reasons McCarthy's attempts in some of those big games weren't what you would expect them to be, like the Penn State game where he only had eight passing attempts, is that he probably audibled to a run out of a throw in a lot of situations because it was the right thing. Okay. Here he's not – He's telling you, he told Cliff Kingsbury that he couldn't audible to a go route out of a run call. Um, I don't know if it was out of a run call, but uh, that was J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy playing as a national champion, uh, one of the highest recruits coming out of high school. He has been at the center of attention for a long time. He and Caleb Williams are of of the quarterbacks that you knew before the season began last year. You knew who Caleb Williams was, and you knew if you were a football fan who J.J. McCarthy was. A lot of people weren't familiar with Penix Jr. They weren't familiar with Drake May. They weren't that familiar with Jaden Daniels. Uh, You were probably familiar with Bo Nix because he had played at Auburn before transferring uh, to Oregon. Uh, This was Michael Penix Jr. um, in his conversation uh, about meeting with Washington. Um, as far as stand out, uh, I, I don't know. As far as stand out, you know, I, I felt confident in all of my meetings. You know, and I know in that meeting, I felt confident, you know, going into it, and I felt confident walking away. So I, I was, I was super, super excited to be able to meet with every team that I was able to meet with. But University, I'm mean, not thinking of but Washington, the Commanders. You know, it, it was a good meeting. Uh yeah, it, with the Washington Commanders, not the same Washington that he played for, not the University of Washington. He's got a lot to him as well. He's got a lot of personality. He's a very likable dude. I think the interesting thing just about uh, Penix Jr. is if he didn't have the injury history that he had at both Indiana and at Washington, you know, where would he be in this draft? Because he can really throw the football. There is nobody that looks at Michael Penix Jr. at 6'3", 6'4", and tall and lanky and a left-handed thrower, which always looks smoother to begin with. Um, there are very few that look at him and say, uh, he, can't, he can't make all of the NFL throws. But it's the six years in college, four at Indiana, two at Washington, being a little bit on the older side, and an injury history that now has him – down in you know the late first at best, but more likely a day two or later 
pick. Um, I, Denton, I don't, at the quarterback position in the NFL, age would not impact my decision at all. This isn't the NBA. This isn't a guy that's coming out at 23, 24, and you've pretty much seen him mature physically into an adult, and you have a better sense of what his true ceiling is. Uh, But with a 19-year-old, you don't. In the NFL, quarterbacks don't even start to approach their prime in a lot of cases until 30 years old. Age would not bother me. Injury history would. Do you think that either one of the which which is the bigger factor here? And if he hadn't had the injuries, where would Penix Jr. be going in this draft? The injuries are definitely the bigger factor. I do disagree slightly with you though about age. I, I am a little concerned with age only from the standpoint of if you if you think it's going to take at least a year or two to fully get accustomed to jumping from college to the NFL and you're already old coming out of college, you know, 24, 25, whatever, you're going to be 26 or 27 before you're getting accustomed to the speed. So that's that's one of those things where it does bother me at least just a little bit. So I'm like cautious. I'd say not a red flag, but a yellow flag is age. But he is falling because of the injuries. Teams are going to see his medical stuff and it's going to freak him out because when you've had two major knee injuries before the age of 25, obviously teams who are going to be investing multiple millions of dollars into you are not exactly going to want to jump on that immediately without some sort of protection for their dollar. Yeah, I at that position in that league, um, unless they were 27 coming out, it wouldn't bother me at all all uh he's going to turn 24 in may so he will be 24 years old when he starts so to your point if it takes a couple of years before he plays and then one or two after that he's going to be 30 by the time or 29 or 30 by the time he starts to play high level football um to me it's all about whether or not you're getting the right person and the right player uh unless again the difference between 23 and a half and 22 and a half wouldn't impact my decision at all at that position in that league um there you go there are some of the voices from some of these quarterbacks coming out we'll see a lot more of them obviously uh between now and draft night and um gonna be quite the next two months month and a half really uh before we start to hone in on um on on these teams and in the direction that they are Heading in. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll do some Denton news. At 11, you'll hear from Drake Mays, head coach in high school. And then I want to get into just this idea that a lot of you actually would prefer, which is the trade back idea. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Hitting the news you might have missed. It's Denton's Daily News. All right, Denton, what do you got? All right, big news out of uh, college basketball on the women's side. Caitlin Clark announced yesterday she's going to enter the WNBA draft approximately 20 minutes after she put out the graphic. The WNBA's Indiana Fever, who hold the number one overall pick, sent out a link for season tickets. No coincidence (laughs) there. Yeah. Um, So what are the... What are the economics on this move? Will she, she I'm I'm assuming she knows and can say confidently 
that in addition to earning a salary, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think is less than $100,000 a year in the WNBA? Uh, it depends who you are as a player. There are certain players that get more than $100,000, and I don't know what it is with number one overall draft picks, but it'll be a six-figure salary. Will it be low six figures or high six figures? I, I want to know what that, that is because, look, the, the, the NIL money is huge for her. Um, the Athletic wrote a story, and I just I forgot to read it before the show was interested. Here it is. The base salary for a rookie selected in the lottery, where Caitlin Clark will be pick, picked as number one overall, is $78,006 in her first season. On top of that, the Rookie of the Year award wins a bonus of $5,150. All-Stars make $2,575, and there are additional incentives for three-point contest champion playoff participants, all of which are possibilities for Clark in her first year. If Clark decides to play overseas, that contract would become another source of income, but that's not what she's going to do. Um, All of the other... The NIL deals just become straight endorsement deals when she moves to being a professional. So instead of it coming through an NIL collective at Iowa, it'll come through endorsement deals with State Farm and the you know Gatorade and the other spon- NIL sponsors that she has. I, I would assume that clearly she believes that she can make more money in the WNBA than she could if she stayed another year at Iowa. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure that she will. What I've seen on Twitter over the last like day or two is that people for some reason don't think she's going to keep the endorsement deals. Like as if State Farm is just going to be like, oh, you don't play women's college basketball anymore. So therefore, we're not going to put you in commercials. Right. Which that to me sounds silly like with all with all due respect oh no 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 she's already a brand it, it, she, it, it, she is the in brand. fact if she weren't even playing basketball for the next couple of years she would be on some of these commercials right it's not like because like you could kind of pseudo make an argument if this was like a couple years ago you were playing for UConn right because UConn's this massive brand in college basketball but she is the brand so wherever she goes the endorsement deals will follow and honestly so will the eyeballs I'm not like a huge, huge WNBA guy, but it is very clear that the product and the the build is growing within that league, and adding Caitlin Clark to that is only going to to expedite that growth. So this is huge for WNBA basketball. Caitlin Clark's going to be fine. The idea that um, what's his that little uh, mole who is a sports business reporter who's like a bot, Darren Ravel. Uh, the fact that he said she's going to lose a million dollars is ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. That dude should know better than that. But I'm I'm convinced that dude's not a real person. I just I don't think he's real. Well, Darren Ravel is a real person. I used to have him on the show many years ago. Um, until he got a little bit wacky and wrong a lot. Uh, I don't I don't know the economics. I'm reading something right now that suggests that um, well, it doesn't suggest her. She's got eleven. NIL deals that pay an estimated $900,000 per year to her in college. Nike, Gatorade, State Farm, Buick, Goldman Sachs, H&R Block, and Tops. Is that 11? Um, it, that's nine or 10 of them, whatever. Uh, and so she's making 900000 Here's a very interesting aspect of the WNBA. So 
the salaries are very low, obviously, compared to other professional sports. They just don't generate the kind of revenue in the WNBA that other sports do. But the WNBA has something called a player marketing agreement. And they've got up to a million dollars annually to spend on players. And she could make up to $250,000 additionally through this player marketing agreement with the W season. So assuming that she would make the max, which is 250 of the million dollars that they've got to spend or something approximating that, she's going to make, you know, somewhere around 350 in compensation, you know, and then you've got all of these other in- incentives, but let's you, th- those aren't big incentive deals. Let's just call it 350 there. She's making 900,000 through NIL. That absolutely follows her. I don't know why they would think that she's less valuable as a spokesperson for their products as a professional player. Now, I guess you could make the case that the college bat women's college basketball is much more watched than the WNBA. But wouldn't somebody make the case that with Caitlin Clark in the WNBA, it'll bring a lot of eyeballs to the WNBA? I think I'm right about that, right? Like, it's not even comparable. The 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 numbers that I was gotten in games here recently, even before Caitlin Clark, the women's Final Four, the women's championship game, massively outdrew the WNBA Finals. I believe that's true. Yeah, even without Caitlin Clark, and then recently, like the Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese stuff from last year, I mean, that damn near outdrew some of the men's NCAA tournament yeah. stuff. Um, so, you know, then, I mean, look, her social media following has to become a massive income source for her as she continues to grow. I guess the one thing you would just say without knowing much about this is, will fewer people watch her in the WNBA than watching her at Iowa? And what will that do to her brand? You know, will it start to diminish the, will her exposure be diminished. I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people are into Caitlin Clark and wherever she goes to play, if it's on TV, they're going to watch. If it's live, they're going to watch. All right. What else do you have? Uh, so have you watched this uh, this new, I guess it's new. I think it came out in February. The We Are the World documentary on Netflix. No, but but CJ, my buddy CJ, Chris Johnson, told me it is excellent. It's on Netflix, right? Yes. He was talking about it the other night. We, we were together the other night um, at, uh, at, at AU for the WCAC championship, and he goes, you've got to watch this. So tell me what you wanted to tell me about it. I think I agree with CJ. You have to watch it. I thought it was very, very good. Now, obviously uh, – I, I was not born when this all went down, but I, I'm a fan of the song. There was like a 25-year anniversary, um, I guess, 14 years ago now when the earthquakes in Haiti uh, took place. So I'm very familiar with this song, but getting to watch this documentary and gather the artists who, some of which I was familiar with, there was a lot of artists on there that I, I really didn't know, but getting the magnitude of those stars and there were a couple scenes that were like really, really funny. Uh, Stevie Wonder is hilarious. Uh, I was not familiar with how funny he was, I think Lionel Richie is really funny as well. He was a big part of this documentary, but there were some really, really good scenes. And because you are such a music buff, I think you would really enjoy watching all these personalities come together. Who wrote for this, this song? song? Did Quincy Jones write the song? 
No, he composed it. It was written by um, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. That's right. CJ told me that. Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie wrote the song. Yeah. Um, interesting. I mean, you know, I remember a lot of the people that were there. Now, CJ said that it essentially was done very much in secret after the American Music Awards. Yes. Where they all went back to this recording studio and nobody knew about it and... Even that, you know, was interesting, and people like Cindy Lauper and and Dylan and others are are just. There's a lot of stuff in there on on those people. Yeah, I, I want to watch it. How long is it? It's about uh, ninety minutes. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, Lionel Richie had hosted the American Music Awards that night, and then went back and kind of helped uh, put this entire thing together. I mean, that man must have had no sleep for like thirty six straight hours. One of the first concerts I ever went to was Lionel Richie as the lead singer of the Commodores. It was a Commodores Luther Vandross show at the Capitol Center. <laughs> Luther Vandross opened for the Commodores. This would have been 83, 82, 83, somewhere around there. All right, uh, what else you got? Uh, final thing for you here. The NFL Rules Committee is looking at making a couple of changes. They're going to address some things potentially with the kickoff uh, in the spring, but right. one of the changes they are looking to make is banning the hip drop tackle, which Ugh. if you don't know the hip drop How ta- can they ban that? Uh, you, don't know. We're, we're not going to be able to get p- actual players to the ground. At, at this point – I think that hip drop, we've seen this coming for a while, that they were going to ban that because it is a dangerous play for the player that's being tackled. Um, to me, it's not – I don't know how they stop themselves from getting into that position if they're going to get penalized without letting them go, without letting the runner then continue. It's so hard to get some of these players just to the ground – I, I don't think that they should ban the hip drop. I really don't. No, I, ca- I cannot think of a a way that they can do it while still maintaining the sanctity of football. I also am not a big fan of the kickoff change um, at all. I, I, I'm a I, big I don't, XFL I don't like, kickoff guy. I, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't think there's a clamoring from fans for this play to have more action to it. You know, we've... It's like the extra point that became super automatic from 20 yards out. I didn't ever feel there was a clamoring for a 37-yard extra point so that there would be more decisions to go for two or that there'd be more of a chance that it would be missed. Now, there was a clamoring for overtime rules to change when it was just a field goal that could win it. And we went to the first possession ends a game with a touchdown. And then we advanced that after the Buffalo Kansas city game to allow both teams, the opportunity uh, at the football, um, which is what we saw in the super bowl. Uh, I, that, that there was real hunger for change. It felt unfair. It felt like it was really impacting the experience of the game. I just I, I don't see it on the kickoff. If they went to that XFL thing, it would look XFL-ish. Um, but I guess it would be safer and lead to more returns, I guess. I don't know. It does seem – I actually was surprised this year that we didn't see more teams with the fair catch rule on the kickoff uh, instituted for the 2023 season – I thought we were going to see more attempts at squib kicks 
that landed inside the twenty yard line, um, and you know allowed you know forced you know sort of the pickup of the football and a return at that point. We didn't see any of that. the The absolute you know default on kickoffs was to kick it as far as you can out of the end zone and let them start at the twenty five yard line. I mean. There's the safety issue. There's the entertainment value of the play. They've certainly increased the safety value because there aren't any kickoff returns anymore. We've lost the entertainment value of the play, but I don't think there's a huge clamoring to get it back. If they want, if they want the entertainment value of the play, you got to back the kickoffs back to the thirty. I don't even know if that's good enough anymore. And you've got to, you know, do things with the wedge. You've got to do things with. You know, players not getting running starts or not being allowed outside certain. I don't know what they can do. Um, safety. It's important. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but uh, we've ex- we extended overtime with, you know, giving teams a chance at the ball um, and forcing teams to score a touchdown in the regular season to end it in regulation. So that automatically made that overtime games were going to last a little bit longer, even though they went to 10-minute overtime periods. Drake Mays, high school coach, next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.